Love and light. What's happening, y'all? My name is Brother Akeen, and this is my podcast, Akeen's Open Talk. Now, here on this platform, I discuss a wide range of topics, anything from politics to entertainment, love or relationship issues, current events, and even music. Any and everything is fair game. Now, on this episode, there had been a movement within the American African diaspora for years prior to the recent movements we have been witnessing of black Americans today. We have been seeing more and more black Americans entertain the idea of exiting the U.S. and returning back to the motherland in an attempt to reconnect to the cultures and practices of our ancestors. Many have pursued business opportunities abroad back in Africa and have participated in the day-to-day operations of building a solid infrastructure in the African nation that they have chose to become their new homes. Now, these people are called expatriates or expats. Some even refer to themselves as repatriates since they view their journey back to the motherland as an act of going back to their original homes that their predecessors had been forcefully removed from. Now, in this episode, I'm fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have an expat sit in with me to tell her story and give her advice on if she thinks more of us should consider the exodus back to Africa or if we should remain in the States to try to create change here that would better benefit us as blacks living in America. I will ask her the pros and cons to living abroad and see if her own migration back was a life-enhancing decision. So those of you flirting with the idea of returning to the land of our sub-Saharan African ancestry will definitely want to listen in. So once again, thank you all for your support and listening in on this episode. And without further delay, let's talk openly. I'm so excited to have my next guest because she can clue me in on a lot of things. I have pondered the idea of expatriation to Africa for the last couple of years and have inquired about different tour packages in order to educate myself more on the subject or at least to gain some personal experience. And now I have someone with a great deal of information to help guide me on my decisions in terms of making the big move a reality. Her name is Sister Erna Terafe Casa, an expat who has journeyed to Ghana and established herself back on the motherland. With so much respect, Sister, thank you for agreeing to take the time to share your story with us about your travels back home. You're quite welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Now, where are you from originally and how long have you been living in Ghana? Okay, well, originally I was born in Arkansas and I've lived in Detroit most of my life. And um, I have officially been in Ghana 10 years. Um, I purchased land here 20 years ago and built my home here um, 18 years ago. And once I retired, then I moved here 10 years ago. Okay, now, how did you decide on Ghana, first of all? 
Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't decide on Ghana. Ghana decided on me because Ghana was oh. not my choice. Oh, great, great. Okay, so now can you walk us through um, your decision of uh, how do you, well, first of all, how did you even decide to uh, visit or consider uh, seeing Africa first off, and then how exactly did Ghana choose you? <laughs> okay, all right, so this all started when I must have been uh, around eight, eight years old, actually, which has been a very long time ago. Hmm. Uh, my father uh, at the time, uh, we were living in Memphis, Tennessee, and my father, who was a mason, car broke down, and he had to take the bus to work. And on the way coming back, he found uh, National Geographic on the bus, and he bought it home, and, um, and I read it. I was a ferocious little reader, and there was a story there about Africa. I don't remember the exact uh, country, but... Uh, when I read the story, I told my dad I wanted to go to this place. And my dad, with all of his wisdom and his ninth grade education, told me that if I got an education, I could go anywhere in the world that I wanted to go. And of course, I believe my dad. So um, what happened was from then, from the time I was eight, uh, and then uh, just like every three or four years, something uh, something would happen. So like when I was like, um, I guess about 10, 10 years old, yes, 10, 11 years old, uh, there was a, um, a young man who came in from, it was called Tanganyika at the time, the name of the country, which is now Tanzania, who came to my three-room schoolhouse in Arkansas. And, um, and I happened to be in the office that day when he came in. And so the principal asked me if I would take him around to the other rooms and introduce him uh, because I was very talkative. And he thought, he said, with all of your talking, you should be able to do that. So I took him <laughs> and took him to the other three rooms and introduced him. Um, and this guy, although that was the first and only time I, I, I ever laid eyes on him, somehow or other, he's managed to stay in my brain all of these years later. And then when I was, I was in school, in high school, we had a, a history teacher who taught some African-American studies and, uh, or at that time, Afro-American studies. And he did some more study, uh, did some more introducing us to uh, bits and pieces uh, about Africa. And, um, and then it didn't happen anymore until I turned uh, about 22 years old, I started the, I started college late in life. And, uh, uh, when I started all of my friends that I finished high school with, they were finishing when I was starting. And, um, so I also had another teacher. I took up, uh, African studies class and I had a wonderful teacher who was from Ethiopia and, and he did a lot of talking about Africa. And so I just made a decision that I wanted to go to Africa. And um, I made that decision. And in 1981, which next year will be 40 years ago, I can't believe it. Uh, I wow. took my first trip to Africa. And my first trip to Africa, I went to uh, five countries, Senegal, the Gambia, the Ivory Coast, 
And at the time it was known as Upper Volta, which is now Burkina Faso and Mali. And so after that, after I went on my first trip, then it was like, you know, that whole Lay's potato chips things. I bet you can't eat just one. Well, <laughs> I, hooked. I seriously got hooked on Africa. And, um, and so that's what I started in 1981. And I continue to go. So I've been to like 18 African countries since I started traveling north, south, east, and west. And um, I've been so many times until I really don't remember, probably about 70 some times, back and forth, back and forth. And um, in 1999, there were a chain of events that happened, but in 19, I decided that um, I was going to, I'd been to Ghana before, but uh, in the 80s. And in 1999, I, I wanted to leave Detroit and wanted to go somewhere for the Christmas holiday. So I came here to Ghana uh, to visit some friends. And when I got ready to leave, um, I was at the airport and I've always taken pride in thinking that I know I could tell what Africans I saw based on, I could tell the Africans on the continent based on either what they look like or what they sound like. Uh, I had my first encounter with an African from Ethiopia when I was in uh, college. And so I saw this tall, uh, very dark skin, this tall, dark skin, fine black brother at the airport. And I kept uh -huh. trying to figure out where is he from? Because most of the Ghanaians that I had came in contact with were much shorter. So I was thinking, well, maybe he's from Nigeria someplace. So I saw him early in the airport. Well, when I got ready to get on the flight to head back to uh, Detroit that night around 10 o'clock, when I got ready to go to my seat, who should be sitting next to me but him. So we talked from, which is something that I never do, we talked from Ghana all the way to New York. And um, I was telling him about my desire to move to Africa. Well, there's a short story in between that if you really want to know the truth. And the truth is, I had planned to move to Africa in 1985 to the Ivory Coast. Um, because I really love the Ivory Coast. I met some, uh, I had an exchange student in 1983, but I met her in 1982. And in 1984, she came in, she came to visit me in Detroit in 1983 and stayed with me for a month in 1984. I went back to the Ivory Coast and stayed with her family for about six weeks. And so I was like, set, I'm going to move to the Ivory Coast. That was in 1984. I was going to move there in 1985. And um, once I got back to uh, Detroit, um, I met this guy. And um, so as it would turn out, we ended up getting married. We were together for 15 years. And when things went sour, um, like I said, um, in 1999, I decided to come over to Ghana. I needed a break. So I came here and met the guy on the flight, talked to him about moving to Africa, talked to him about my desire to move to the Ivory Coast. Well, in 1999, the Ivory Coast was having some silver disturbance. And so he just said, well, why don't you move to Ghana? And jokingly, I said to him, if you find me some land by the ocean, I will. 
that was in January, January the 2nd, 2000. And he called me back in March and said to me, I found your land by the ocean. I said, really? He said, yeah, his, actually his school, his uh, college buddy had found the land for me. So in uh, April, we were going on spring break, Detroit Public Schools. So I rushed and got my ticket and came back over here. They picked me up at the airport and then eventually they bought me out here to this land. And when I got out here to the land, bush was sky high, about four and a half feet high, it seems. And nothing was out here but the ocean in front of me and a lot of bush. And when I got over to the ocean, uh, I just, I mean, when I got to the land, I decided I wanted to walk over to the ocean and by myself. So I walked over to the ocean. And when I got over to the ocean, um, it was just a weird kind of spiritual feeling that I got. And um, I started, um, I started thanking the creator for bringing me back here because uh, the feeling that I was having and um, I was just kind of saying a prayer and, and through it all, something happened to me. I, I, I started speaking some kind of a foreign language. I don't know what I was saying, actually, to be honest with you. My mom said that I got over there and started talking to my ancestors, is what she told me when I told her what happened to me. And then the process of um, crying and, and, and having this spiritual feeling there's this song by the OJ's, Ship Ahoy, that I used to just love. And that song was just blasting in my head. And I literally blinked my eye. And interestingly enough, I could see ships out on the ocean. And that song was just running through my head, Ship Ahoy, Ship Ahoy. Took my mother away from me, from the ocean. And, um, I said to myself after doing all that crying and everything, okay, all right, I get you. I understand Mother Africa, this is where I'm supposed to be. And that is how I ended up in Ghana instead of the Ivory Coast. Wow. <laughs> I'm even more fascinated now than before because this is almost like this is starting to take another turn down another road because now it seems to sound more spiritual that it was a calling from the ancestors for you to return home. And that's a spiritual thing, at least in my Exactly. It, it is exactly. And, and my calling, when I really give it, uh, give it some serious thought and I've given it plenty of serious thought that it all started uh, with me. Uh, I often say that the mother called me when I was eight years old. So it took some time. I had to, I had to come here and experience. I had to meet some Africans on the con, uh, um, in the states. Uh, there was uh, two brothers. Um, the second African that I met was actually uh, lived in the apartment building that I lived in uh, when I was at the at the at college and university. Um, was from Ghana, and I met he and his brother. And um, like I said, and from there things just. It just kept happening. Um, so I, yes, indeed, it, it was definitely a, a spiritual calling. And, um, and so that's what happened to me. And that's why I say, um, I didn't choose Ghana, Ghana chose me. Because it was not my choice. 
Well, it was not my first right. choice anyway. Well, this, it, it just seems like you're very courageous because I want to go back to when you said, I believe you were in college when you made your first trip to the continent. Is that when it was in college? Uh, uh, no, I did not make my first trip in college. I actually made my first trip after I had finished college. And I, I oh, yeah, cool. I finished and I was, I had started teaching then. Uh, I, I couldn't have afforded to go when I was in college for sure. I got <laughs> yeah, because I was definitely going to ask you about that. <laughs> I got financial aid all the way so, from undergraduate to graduate school, so no, I couldn't have. Right, right. <laughs> so the the courageous part that I'm thinking of is when you finally decided to make that first trip, you took that trip alone, just just by yourself, or did you have no, any? I didn't take it alone. Actually, um there was a lady who was also a teacher by the name of Catherine Blackwell. And she was my mentor. Okay. And um, Catherine Blackwell, hello? Yes, oh, I'm here. Uh, Catherine Blackwell was a teacher with the Detroit Public Schools. And she started going, going to Africa, I mean, real early, like in the 60s or so. And so on uh, my first trip in 1981, I had met Catherine. So there were a group of us and Catherine was doing trips to Africa. And, um, and so it was just, uh, it was an opportunity for me to go. Like I said, I had started, um, I'd already uh, started teaching and she was there. And, and so I, um, I called on American Express to see if I could get a credit card. I got my credit card and charged it. And, and we went in the summer of 1981 we were there for a month, and like I said, we went to five different African countries, and um, then I was just sold after that. That is really amazing. So when you finally decided to make the move permanently mm -hmm. uh, to Africa, did you were you concerned about any of the political or economic uh, possible obstacles that you may have had to face at that time? Well, I think what you need to, what I didn't mention to you, I don't think is that I had traveled to Ghana before, uh, before my first trip in, uh, uh, 99, I had traveled, I think it was around 87 or 88 that I had been in Ghana. And so, uh, and I traveled, like I said, to 18 African countries. I'd never traveled to any country where they were having any civil disturbances, although I know that there were civil disturbances going on. But uh, I mean, I never traveled to one where they were having civil disturbances at the time I was there. So I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any, any sense of, uh, oh, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, civil unrest or anything like that. I would have never traveled to a country where they were having, I wasn't that brave. Right. Definitely. Okay. Okay. So once you did finally make that move, would you say that it was an expensive move for you to make? Uh, well, let me just say that once I decided that I was going to eventually move to Africa, uh, one of the things I did was um, I started working a part-time job uh, in the evening after I got off from my regular day job, teaching job. 
I taught English as a second language in the evening for about four days a week uh, for nearly 10 years off and on. And then uh, mm -hmm. since I had been going to Africa too, I decided that I would start taking groups to Africa. So I also did tours to Africa. I took some, I, ah. I started taking people to Africa. Uh, one of my trips, I took 101 people to, uh, um, to Senegal and the Gambia. And, um, and just on that one trip alone, I, I cleared about $38,000 because at the time I was partnering with Aerofreak, which was one of the major airlines that was flying in West Africa. And uh, because I had flown with them several times before, um, I had gone on a familiarization trip with them. They had invited me since I had started talking about doing uh, tours, to, uh, taking groups to Africa. And um, we went on this familiarization trip where the, airline, the airlines themselves sponsored the trip. And so on the way coming back, you know, I just made the comment to the manager. Uh, it was in February and we didn't have many people on the plane. And so I said to him, well, you know, if you give me a really good price, I'll fill this plane up. And so he said, really? I'm like, yeah, if you give me a good price and nobody's flying in February. So in February is Black History Month. He was a white guy. February is Black History Month. So you give me a good price, then I'll talk to some teachers. And we get off uh, in Detroit. We would get off and work uh, for a week for a winter break. And, and uh, it was in February. So he said, okay, well, let me go back and talk with my general manager. And his general manager was an African from uh, Benin. And so he spoke with him and uh, they invited me to New York. I went to New York and talked with him about what I could do and I could pull this trip together and I could bring these teachers and blah, 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 blah. And so they said, okay. So they gave me a price of $499 round trip airfare from New York to Dakar, Senegal. And they even allowed me to fly over uh, for a few days. And I went and spoke with the hotel people at the Taranga Hotel, which also was a low season for them. So I spoke with them and they gave me a really good price. So I put the trip together and um, had 101 people. And like I said, I made $38,000 for that one week. And I took it and put it all away, put it in the bank. And um, so I just started uh, saving money the, every way, any and every way that I could so that I would be able to uh, eventually move over here. I decided that once I move, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to set up a bed and breakfast. It was, that was my, my decision. So that's how I got started. Just uh, saving money, uh, putting money aside. And so, no, it wasn't, it was not, uh, an inexpensive trip because once I decided to move, um, I packed up um, a 40 foot container of things. This was after I bought the, after I had bought the land and built the house. After I built my house, then I sent over a car in the container and then I sent over furniture and everything once the house was built. And then after that, I would come two or three times during the year. Whenever we had a break, I would just take off and come over here. I had a place to stay, my own house. And uh, that's what I did.
Wow. <laughs> wow. So would it be fair to say that you were one of the first to organize these tours to go over and visit? Uh, no, on the continent it, it of wouldn't be fair to say that because like I said, I had gone with uh, the mother of Africa. <laughs> that was Kathy uh, uh, right. Blackwell, <laughs> who was a teacher. And she, she had, she had been taking many trips over, uh, taking people over, but, um, you know, somehow or other, I managed to pull these 101 people together. Um, and they were from different parts, not just from Detroit, but they were from other parts where people would say they, that from Detroit, they wanted to go and they got somebody in uh, uh, New Jersey that wanted to go and somebody in Atlanta that wanted to go. So when it ended up, all they had to do um, were to meet me in New York. And then from New York, we went on and I had everything organized from there and the hotel and everything. So in your opinion, based on the fact that, like to me, it just sounds like uh, you were simply a business, it's almost like you were a business owner whom uh, came up with the game plan or came up with a strategy in order to uh, organize a business. And it, and it seems like it started here in the States, but once you got to, to Africa, would you say that it would be something that could be that could be accomplished from that end, and to have a business started based in Africa that did pretty much the same thing, invited people over from the states to come over to visit. In other words, I'm saying if someone were to try to relocate relo mm -hmm. relocate to Africa, would you suggest that they create a business of tours? And have that be their source of income, living in in the on the uh, motherland, and then just kind of you know as far as look for people that's interested on in these tours, to lean back to the states in order to have people come over no, and visit, kind of like you did, no, but just make a business out of it because it's not really that easy for a lot of people to get visas from here to go to America. So I I, I would never consider that as okay. a business because uh, getting a visa to um, to go to America can be uh, very difficult for the average, you know, for the average person. But um, what I have done was um, um, a few years back, I, uh, while I was still in Detroit, uh, I belonged to this organization that was called the African Caribbean Association. And what happened was uh, they um, were interested in starting to uh, wanting to start up businesses and do things in Africa. And so the uh, one who started up was a businessman himself um, who uh, owns 12 or 13 Max McDonald's, originally from Jamaica. And um, so he asked if I would be the African connection. And I said, okay, yes, I will be. And I put together a list of, um, from just, doing my regular research and seeing things happening and everything over the years of things that I thought that could happen. Uh, I put together um, a list of potential uh, businesses. And I wouldn't say that you could come here and find a job either so easily. So it would be best then if you're gonna come would be to try to set up some kind of business. And um, there, I mean, there, 
Africa, there are endless possibilities in Africa. I mean, absolutely endless possibilities of, uh, of, of uh, various uh, businesses that you could. And that's the advantage of being able to come to um, a developing country and not just Ghana, but um, all of the 18 countries that I've been to, I would say, except for South Africa. When I went to South Africa, it was, you know, uh, it was before the apartheid had ended. So there was a, there was a lot of, um, a lot of white folks there, the Africanas, and, and they were already in business. And so it was, it's one of the countries that was already uh, much more developed than the other 17 countries that I had gone to. So, um, so I would say by all means, uh, there are so many different uh, possibilities of doing business. But one of the things that I would say is that here in Ghana, you find the, the Lebanese are working together. You find the, the, the Indians, they have businesses and they are all working together. And now the Chinese are coming in and they're like taking over, you know, and, and they're doing their thing. And I would say that basically um, we are probably only the only people who are coming here in, in large numbers that don't come here with a plan to work together. And if we could come up with a plan where we could work together collectively, because many people may not have, you know, if you come in here to start up a business here, you need anywhere. The government requires that, uh, that you have about $500,000 if you're going to open it up yourself. But if you're going to work with the Ghanaian as a partner, then it's about, I think it's about 300,000 or 350,000 that you would need to have. And so it would be to, uh, it would be to our advantage to, to come together as a group and, uh, and, and, and decide on some of the businesses uh, uh, that we would like to invest in. And like I said, there, there's a whole list of them. Uh, I did, a, I think about a five or six part series on different kinds of uh, businesses on my Facebook page that people can that people can can get off into, and um, and it's there are unlimited possibilities, unlimited possibilities. Almost anything that you can think of can be done here. From, um, um, I mean, just you can like for instance, when I first got here, I didn't have anybody to pick up my garbage. Nobody was going around. You know, they didn't have. They may have had a company, but where I lived, they didn't. They weren't picking up garbage out here. And I thought, you know, this would be a wonderful opportunity because now, when I first got the land out here, nothing much was going on out here. But now, it's becoming a thriving community, and so someone could come in and and uh, we have some little um, there's some motorcycles with a little uh, uh, carry thing on the back, a little trailer on the back. And call them three wheelers, and someone could get right. a series of these little three wheelers, which at the time I don't think they cost any more than about eighteen hundred dollars or something like that, and start up a business uh, just collecting, uh, you know, um, 
doing trash collection. I mean, and that's really simple. You wouldn't even have to have any particular skills in order to do that. And, um, and then there is, um, I mean, just so many different things. I was trying to go, uh, try, trying to go through my WhatsApp page to, uh, sorry, my uh, Facebook page to try and find that page uh, to just run, try to run through some of those things that I posted that uh, could, <clears throat> excuse me, that can be done. Um, but there, like I said, right. there are just unlimited possibilities. Seriously, there are unlimited possibilities. So many different things. Um, you know, one of the things are... you find here, you find like a lot of, uh, like they grow cashew, cashew nuts here. And they ship them out of the country. Um, they're shea butter. A lot of people are doing shea butter. They have so many natural products. Um, I was saying that one of the things I put on the list of things that could be done is, for instance, where I live out here, uh, they have they have these trees that are called neem trees, and they just grow wild everywhere. People mostly just cut them down when they start clearing the land. They cut them down. If the tree is big enough, they'll take the wood and make charcoal out of it. And uh, they use that tree here. The one thing that I know is that they use it for malaria. Well, when I was in, uh, uh, when I was in uh, Detroit uh, or in Michigan last year, I went to the health food store and I was looking around and there was a neem, a neem tea. And it was $12 for four ounces, which makes it $48 a pound, right? And it's, it grows wild here. And all they do mm. is just cut it down and, and make charcoal out of it. I mean, it's just everywhere. Um, Sorrel, uh, that's one of the things um, I'm trying to think of. There, I mean, there's just a whole list, like I said, of different things that are here that um, that you know people are barely utilizing that outside because they don't know that all of these things are valuable. Many people don't know that all of these things are really very valuable out you know outside of the country. Right. So, are there organizations or groups? of um, expats that are already over there in Ghana, say, for example, that are already established that would help uh, any newcomers that are uh, ready to move or, or relocate or even uh, create a business there? Is there any type of organization that they can go to to, to find some support or at least uh, gather information on how to strategize building a business or even, for that matter, uh, building their own home there? Like, is there a supportive group of people that relocated uh, from the states that people can go to well, we to gather this information from themselves. The African American Association of Ghana, but they are not, it, it's more, I would say more like um, um, a, a social, social program, a, a group uh, more than anything else. Um, they're I wouldn't say and that I'm aware of anything that has been set up specifically for the purpose of um, uh, showing people how to do uh, or, or move here. 
However, there are some few things that have happened. Last year, we had the year of return. And during the year of return, it's been said that 790-some thousand diasporas came here from all over. And uh, they left $1.9 billion. So, um, and with that many people coming here last wow. year, uh, there were a lot of people who had uh, made up their mind and decided that, hey, I want to, I, I like to uh, move to, uh, I like to move to Ghana. And so one of the things that I, I do, um, well, before I get to what I do, I'd like to say that, that the African Union, which is something that I preach here all the time, I'm sure people get tired of me talking about the African Union, but the African Union has five regions with uh, within the continent of Africa and under the auspices of the African Union. And then they set up something that's called the Sixth Region. And the Sixth Region consists of all people of African ancestry, no matter where they are, no matter what country they're in, as long as you are of African ancestry, you fit under the African Union's Sixth Region. And so they have set up a program that we don't take advantage of basically, collectively, uh, particularly in North America. Um, um, they've set up a program where there are some legacy prop, uh, uh, programs that they've set up where if you are willing to work on some of these projects, then uh, you are more than welcome. So the African Union set it up rather than uh, collectively rather than individual countries. So if there were countries that people wanted to go to, if we were to organize and really get organized and really dealt with the African Union, it would be so much more easier uh, uh, to be able to come here. Um, they, they are looking for people who are skilled. Um, they are uh, I mean, it's uh, a host of things that they're looking for for anyone who wants to do some research on the African Union. And so if we were to organize under the African Union's sixth region, and they are looking for us, they, they, I mean, it's really obvious. We're the ones who spend more money over here than anyone. You talk about 790,000 people who came here last year during the year of return. Now, um, it stands to reason um, the United States is, doesn't have the largest population. Brazil has the largest population. Second is Haiti. Third is the uh, United, uh, United States. Right. And, but in terms of wealth, the United States diasporas are probably the wealthiest ones in the world. And so, of course, the African Union would want to have those people who they feel can bring something to the table. And we do, that's quite obvious. You have 790,000 people come to one little country and leave $1.9 billion there. So if we were to collectively get together and start up Absolutely. some businesses, then I think that uh, a lot of things could change. But I think part of the problem is that we have a difficult time trusting each other. Um, and so we... You know, we don't pull things together in a, in a way that you find the Indians and the Lebanese and the Chinese who are coming here working together. You go to an Indian uh, business, the majority of the people up front are Indians. 
you go to a Lebanese business, the majority of the people up front right. are Lebanese who are working on those, on those, uh, in those businesses. And so if we were to pull our resources together, it's just, like I said, I found my little list and, um, I'd like to quickly kind of run through some of the things that I have on here. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, things that people could invest Absolutely. in collectively. Absolutely. Small movie theaters, sod farms, sanitation collection, security systems, installation and monitoring systems, dollar, like dollar store, uh, which could be a CD store, lawn services and landscaping, tool rental service, solar and alternative energy, franchises, private schools, um, and under youth entertainment, we could open up skate rinks, water park, teen clubs, children, uh, celebration areas, after school tutoring. And uh, this is just one of the lists that I was able to find, but I posted about, um, like I said, uh, I think I did six parts on my, on my Facebook page. So it's, it's just endless possibilities, as I said before, of things that we were to pull together. Uh, I, I can very easily see any of the ones that I've just mentioned being really big because they don't have, you know, the, like a youth entertainment center where you, you, you got a piece of land and decided you want to put a water park in there and have some rides for the kids and then doing the, uh, their birthday, the parents could bring them out and you could have, they could have birthday celebration celebrations and, and all. I mean, we have difficulties here with uh, energy. The lights goes off frequently. So to have someone, um, there's a young man in Detroit who came here last year uh, because I invited him here, he and his friend. He did an introduction to solar to some of the high school students in my community. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. Now, just think if we could get mm -hmm. 10 people to pair, to uh, uh partner with him, with his solar company in Detroit, where he would start bringing solar here. I would be the very first one on the list to get solar. The very first one here. And there are so many different ways that that solar could be used. You know, um, uh, we have like, they have kiosks here, for instance. Right. And those kiosks, they, when I first got here, they used to be open late at night you know, until it was dark, maybe eight or nine o'clock, they would have candles lighting up the kiosks and other little, um, like the little hand lights that you could carry around. Um, can you imagine a kiosk with a solar roof on it? You're selling it to people. I mean, you, they, they could stay, yeah. they could stay open all night long because there's always traffic going on, uh, but at least they could stay open to eight or nine o'clock. So, there, there are many different things that could be done. And for all of those people where uh, throughout the country where the, we're having uh, electricity difficulties or challenges, I should say. Uh, and if you were coming in and selling it reasonably and you could really do really well, you could do really well doing that. So, and, and we don't, they don't, you know, here now we have First, I think it was uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken is a franchise that's here now. Then Burger King and uh, there's another one, Pizza Hut. 
other, other franchises that are here. If we were to get together, and I know this for a fact because it ends over. I fried fish the way my mama fried fish with some cornmeal. And they sat down and ate it with some potato <laughs> salad and some collard greens and cornbread, and they loved it. So if we had old food restaurants here um, with the, and, and start franchising them because we're working together collectively, we could do really well with that. We could do really well. Like I said, there's so many things. It's, it's just really unlimited uh, possibilities here. Seriously. But the one thing we have to do is pull our resources together and work together to do it. Uh, when I went to Detroit in February, uh, I went over to see my son who's sick. And uh, when I got there, it was so cold. And because I've been, I've never been back to the States during the winter in the 10 years that I've been here. I went over there, I absolutely had nothing winter to put on. So I had to buy uh, boots and because it was snowing, a coat and everything. And I went outside, I rented a car, went outside to clean mm -hmm. the car off. And I thought I was having a brain freeze. It was so cold. And so I had lunch with some of my uh, teacher friends that I that I had mm. been with for years since the beginning. We got together and had lunch. And I was talking to them. How do you stand living here? It's so cold here during the winter. Wouldn't you like to go to some tropical place during the <laughs> uh, winter months and stay there? And we talked about that. And they said yes. So I, I am presently in the process of trying to, I looked at some land, about 10 acres and out here where I live. And uh, we, we have a nice small African American community out here and of other diasporas. So I looked at some land and now I'm now in the process of trying to see about getting 10 acres of land, uh, looking to try and find a way to fund those and to start off with actually a retirement uh, a center where people who are retired who just want to leave the winter, uh, and I've got quite a few teacher friends who already said they would love to do that, mm -hmm. who would come over here and maybe I ask, so how long would you want to stay? They said between three and six months. Well, if you come over here and you stay between three and six months, I guarantee you that you're going to want to come here and stay. First of all, your dollar is going to go much further than it will in America. Wow. Uh, and uh, when you look at things in comparison, I think to what things cost there and, 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 and you're using your dollar, then you would be happier. I've, I've been able to save money here uh, from my, my pension and my social security that I, was, that I was never able to save when I was in America. So, you know, there, there are advantages, oh, wow. but I also have to say that one wow. of the reasons that I am able to save is because I built my house before I moved here, before I retired. So coming here, I didn't have to pay any, I had to build a house once right. I got here and, right. and use up what little money that I was getting from those sources, or I didn't have to, uh, you know, spend money renting from somebody else because I built prior to coming, uh, retiring. So for those who are interested, maybe you got five or six years uh, before you retire, 
you save your money, you get with the group uh, that like what we're trying to put together, you can start saving your money. We can start uh, building affordable homes and have a community where those people who are in the community, who live in the community can actually be responsible for the businesses of the community. If we have, uh, I also had a Mason who came, sorry, not a Mason, but a 50 years of experience, a master certified plumber who came here last year, a friend of mine from Detroit, who also did some upgrading skills because the plumbing skills are really very antiquated here. So if we got a community, the plumber is going to be that master certified plumber. He lives in the community. He is the person who's going to be the master plumber. You have uh, some retired doctors who are living in the community. Well, we're going to have a place where you can set up a small clinic so people in the community can go to you. So the community can be self-supporting. You know, whatever it is that you do, mm. um, we're talking about uh, the idea of having a grocery store there, having a community center. And uh, so for the, if you can do landscaping, you got a job, you got it, not a job, but you can start up your own business right there in that community because all of the things that you're going to need in a community that's self-sustaining, those people who live in those communities can start up the business. And it's an excellent way to show anybody, any in ancestry who is interested in leaving wherever they are and coming to whatever African country that they can come to. Once we can set up this program, it would be a very good example to set up a program anywhere in Africa that they want to. I have a friend now who went to Rwanda and she got stuck over there. And all I ever hear from her is, girl, you got to Rwanda, which I had planned on going in February until my son got sick and I had to go to Detroit. She said, you got <laughs> it's so nice. It's so this, it's so that, uh, you know, and, um, and so, yeah, yeah. She's mm -hmm. been, every time she I've heard me, great things said, about Rwanda coming back to Ghana and she has a business here, but she got stuck on it. And <laughs> me, I'm just saying, well, I can't wait till they start. <laughs> That's going to be. Uh, probably the second place I'll go to. I go to the Ivory Coast first, and that'll probably be the second place that I end up going to. So, you know, for people who I hear people who want to go, who they who are wanting to go to Gambia and different countries. I mean, once we have an example of how a community can be done and how we can, what we can do by working collectively, I mean, the sky's mm -hmm. the limit. Would you say for the most part out of the multiple nations that you've been to on the continent of Africa, that the people there are accepting of black Americans or African-Americans coming over and wanting to gel into their culture? Mm, Would you say that they're question. accepting? I just had a conversation us? about this uh, last week. Now I can say that uh, in the, and the 20 years that I've been coming back and forth as a whole, I've not had any difficulties. I've not had anybody who seemed to have been against me because I was an African-American. 
Um, I've not experienced that personally. Um, but what I can say is from a conversation that I had recently, someone actually said that we were talking about uh, many people coming here once the pandemic is over and people can come in and how we can, you know, those of us who are coming, how we can add to the development and even how the African Union feels as if that we can do that. And so uh, the person that I was speaking with said to me that there were, his, some of his colleagues had mentioned that they were a little afraid, afraid if too many of us came over here. Yeah, they were a little afraid if too many of us came over here. Oh, but really? what I think is that, uh, you know, we don't come over here to, to try to take over anything. Uh, we don't come over here uh, to separate ourselves. I said to him that the Chinese, they live together, they eat Chinese food. The Lebanese, they live among each other and they eat Lebanese food. The Indians, they mm -hmm. live among each other and they eat Indian food. The African-Americans in the diasporas, the, the Africans of the diaspora that come here. Uh, when we come here, we go out, the first thing we do, we go out and we buy fabric and we have us African clothes made. I'm really bad. I have African shoes. I have a guy in the African, in the Ivory Coast who make my shoes to match my dresses. Then I have another guy who make my purses who match my whole outfit. Uh, I buy I, I buy African food. I love to eat African food. I'm not great at cooking wow. it, but I had a lady that would come here and cook me African food, Ghanaian food frequently, who recently passed. Uh, I go to a restaurant near my house that serve African food. And so, you know, we, we come so that we can jail. Uh, some of the challenge that we do have, and one of the things that I admit myself, uh, when I decided to come to Ghana, you know, there are 71 different dialects that are spoken here. So uh, I said, well, listen, English is a major language, so I'll go there and I'll speak English. Now, it would be good if there are people who would learn the language, some of the, the main languages, because they do have a tendency. Um, what I found is once you speak the, a language that is not one of their own, you may get Obuni prices, you know, uh, so, you know, but if you can speak the language, <laughs> I've, I've heard about you that. You <laughs> stand a better chance of probably getting the Ghanaian prices. Um, but I have not had anybody that um, that I, that I could uh -huh. say that just treated me bad or treated me differently uh, just because I am uh, an African American. Um, so, but. I think if we came here in the right way, um, like I said, if I think, I think that if we came here and we do come in and give to the country, we always come and, and, and invest in the country. We always are giving things, you know, um, we, we, we donate and we donate and we donate uh, mm -hmm. to the country. Uh, most of the time is that what, that's what we're doing. When people come over, they bring things People come over and set up schools. People come over and set up programs where they're giving books and computers and different things. That's a part of what we do. That's a part of what we do, but we need to do it to make a greater impact by doing it collectively. Right, right. And that would make a greater impact as opposed to us doing things 
on a on an individual basis. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would give us more added value. And like I said, if right. we came in now, last I heard, Ghana had a housing shortage of uh, 1.7 million housing shortage. If we could come in and collectively we build something for us to stay in, and then we start contributing and building affordable housing for, for some of them to live in as well. I mean, we would have made an impact. We're not here to take things uh, like, like many of them, many of those who are here, uh, like the Chinese, for instance, they don't take their money. I mean, they invest here. They do, and they're doing a lot of investing here, but they don't leave that investment money here. They take it back to China. You know? And so anything that we would make here as a group oh, yeah. of people, oh, yeah. you know, we, we, we feel that uh, a kin, kin kind of spirit, you know, we're family kind of spirit. You're, we, we, I say that we've been 400 years removed. They've forgotten that we are them and they are us. But when we come back, we come back. Those who come back, everybody isn't coming. You have to have had a calling to come here, to want to come and stay. And when the mother calls you, most people listen. Right. So when we come back, we come back with Africa on our hearts and in our minds and in our spirit, and we come back to want to help to do as much as, uh, as, much as we can. And so if we, we, we kept that in mind and we did things, we start doing things on a more collective basis, we would be able to make a greater impact and they would see that we're not coming here to try to take anything from them. We come and try and add to, uh, and not try, but we do, we come and add. Right. We don't take anything away from them. We're not here digging up, digging for gold mines or bauxite or uh, blowing out mountains to find this and that. We don't come here doing all of that, you know? But there are things that we could come here and invest in collectively that could make a difference. And we would end up giving right. jobs to other people because I've, I've done it myself. I had a, a computer center where I had uh, students coming in in the evening after school because they were teaching computers, but they had no computers to teach them with. They were teaching um, uh, no practicum at all because they had no, no computers. And so I opened up a computer center where I had children uh, coming in and learning computers. Um, and they were paying at that time, which was equal to about a 27 cent uh, each time they came in. And it just, it, it, it got to be ridiculous because then the kids would come in and uh -huh. if, if you let three come in without paying, then the next day seven would come in. And so I just got to the point where I just, and then it was, it was also getting to the point where more and right. more um, uh, mobile phones were coming in and more and more people were getting on, you know, uh, getting on internet and all of that on their phones. And so I, I had to end up just closing down. And, mm. and I also had a, um, I had a microfinance company for a while um, mm. But it, it, that was really interesting, too, because they have this uh, thing where every day they you could send somebody out and they would put five or 10 CDs into a fund that they would 
uh, put in there every day. And then at the end of the month, they would come and take it all out. Well, I couldn't get many African-Americans to participate. I had a few that actually put money into the financer, into the, uh, into the microfinance company. But if then, if I could have gotten a few thousand people to invest, uh, just put into the bank, you know, like $20 uh, $20 a month, uh, by this time, we could have been set where we could have had money to do business, to do loans, to with anything. But, you know, it's, it's that whole issue of trust that we have to learn how to break right. that mental bond where we don't, you know, where we can't trust. Yeah. Each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the historical mm -hmm. issue that we have seem to always had here uh, in the States. And also that fear, that fear of the unknown, that fear of going out, venturing out and providing your own way and making your own destiny. I think a lot of people just have that fear. They, they fear something that they've never, they've never experienced. And I can't speak for everybody, but you know, taking that chance to do something that you've never done before like this, it just seems like it's, it's such a, a scary thing for a lot of people mm -hmm. to experience that they just get comfortable enough to say, Hey, I'm just going to stay in my, my box. <laughs> I'm used to being well, here doing what I've been doing. And, and you know, a lot of times they don't want to try anything uh, different. The Take number the that chance. was here last year during the uh, year of return. I think that if many uh, began to venture out and go just travel to some of the African countries, uh, mm -hmm. they would begin to see differently. And I think that, if it had not been for this virus that started up, you would see a large, a large influx of uh, African Americans coming here, looking to come and stay. Because I get a lot of people um, who are responding to me. Who um, there's this brother Bomani Tahimba from Atlanta who came here and he bought a group here. And when he bought the group here, uh, there's this restaurant out here that's owned by this. African-American brother and his Ghanaian wife, he took them over there and the brother invited me to come over and speak to them about my experience here. And I went over and afterwards, they took the bus load and he asked if he could come and visit my house. And I said, sure. So the bus load of them came here and he did some videoing. I think it's about four parts. He did video over there at the restaurant and the people asking questions. And he also did some when he got here and out of the three or four parts that he did and he posted over 200,000 people have seen those videos. And I get messages all the time from people. Oh, were you? I, it, it, it's really interesting. I was, at I was one of them, by the way, summer, I was coming back <laughs> Absolutely. from Detroit and I was at the airport and this guy ran up to me. He said, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, hi. He said, I know you. I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, I know I'm getting old, but I don't remember his face at all. And he said, oh, no, you don't know who I am. You don't know me. He said, I've seen all of your videos on YouTube. I'm like, oh, he said, can you hold on for one minute now? I've gotten out. I'm getting ready to, uh, I got my baggage getting ready to go over. Uh, my driver had come to pick me up. And he said, can you just hold on for a minute? And I'm like thinking now, who is this guy and, and all of that? So he comes back. He said, 
hey, mom, remember the woman I told you on YouTube? I showed you her <laughs> pictures on YouTube. Here she is, right here. He brought, <laughs> he brought his mother over to meet me, and his mother said, oh, yeah, my son showed me your YouTube videos, and it's so nice that you're here in Ghana. So nice to meet you and everything. So I was just, like, really surprised. I was really surprised when someone called me and told me, did you know that 30,000 people have seen those videos? One of my friends in Detroit. I'm like, really? When he first posted it, then the next thing I heard was, oh, 50,000 people Absolutely. have seen those. And I'm like, really? Oh, and then the next thing I hear, hmm, over 100,000 people. I'm like, you're kidding me. They, they've seen your videos. I'm like, those are not my videos. They belong to Bomani. He just took oh, the yeah. pictures, Absolutely. Know, the videos. So uh, last I looked on it, like I said, it was over 200,000. <laughs> so a lot of people. Well, yeah, I have become a, I've become familiar with Brother Bomani and his tours. I mean, I've looked into uh, mm -hmm. uh, taking them up on them myself, and he would make videos that will give a positive image about uh, the trip and, and the tours to Ghana. And I, I like the fact that he just seems mm -hmm. so energetic about wanting to introduce as many people as he can to the continent. And so you most definitely mm -hmm. came up. I do remember your video specifically when I saw it uh, the other day, uh, mm -hmm. yesterday actually, offline. I was like, you know what? I know her, <laughs> you know, just like the one guy said. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I think it's very, uh, is helpful to the rest of us here uh, in the States that Brother Bomani and you yourself, Sister Erna, that you guys put out the YouTube videos and get no, the no, messaging no, wait, across wait, wait, to us wait, wait, wait. that everything is good in Africa. A lot of times we get hit with the... I have to be... I have to be uh, okay, 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 okay. Don't, don't let me go too fast. Okay. <laughs> here uh, in, Af in Africa that is so very different from what we are accustomed to, a lot of things. So you have to really come here and be very open-minded. You know, I, sometimes I just mm -hmm. get really ticked off that the electricity is going off, you know, and I'm worried about my food thawing out in the freezer. Uh, or sometimes, you know, when you come yeah. here, yeah. when you're there in the States, you've got water that runs through your faucet almost 24-7 unless something real serious should happen. Well, here you come here, you have to buy these water storage systems so that once the water comes on, you can store mm -hmm. the water. So when it goes off, if it goes off for two or three weeks, you've got these storage systems. Um, like uh, one I have is about 10,500 liters. I've got a four on my whole compound, not four 10,000, but four all together. And you have to be, ready to deal with those kinds of things. You know, uh, it, it's, mm. it's really different here. And my nearly 40 years of coming in and out of here, I still yeah. see things that, uh, you know, are very, very, very different. You, there are things that you just have to get used to here. And you have to be patient, particularly if you decide that this is, you know, you want to make this connection with your motherland. You have to be just, you have to have a lot of patience. Like for instance, I've never seen anybody that drive like the people here. I've never seen two lanes, 
there's only two lanes, okay? But they got literally uh -oh. two lanes marked with four <laughs> lanes of cars are driving in those two lanes. Mm -hmm. The reason I don't drive anymore, I have a driver who knows how to handle all of that. <laughs> and the only thing I say to him, don't you get over in those other lanes. Do not get over in those other lanes. So, I mean, it's not all peaches and cream. We, we don't need to put that out there that it's not peaches and cream because wow. there are, I mean, it's it, Africa is a developing continent. And some of the countries I've been to, they're 50, 60 years behind. Maybe some of them, mm -hmm. some parts of them could be even more than what we have been accustomed to in terms of being mm -hmm. in a, uh, I quote, a developed country, unquote. So I don't ever want to put out there that it, everything is peaches and cream. Everything is just wonderful because right. everything is not just wonderful. But once you make a decision that you have heard the mother call and you are ready to accept that call, then you must be willing and ready to come in and accept some of the things that are going on that you have no control over and those things that you can be, um, you know, responsible for, for changing, then you do that, you know, because it's not all peaches and cream. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So would you say you would have to be willing to live a more practical mm -hmm. life than what you're used to in the States? Okay. Okay. So mm -hmm. we've touched on the uh, the water system, and uh, I had a few more questions with you to, that related specifically to Ghana. And uh, uh, one of the questions were, you know, since we've touched on the water system, that's one of the things, but what are some of the luxuries or some of the things that we tend to take mm. for granted here that we would have to live without um, in Ghana? Well, like I said, uh, with it being a developing country, uh, the infrastructure, the infrastructure is really bad. Uh, three years ago, I got a new car here. Um, and by the way, it wasn't easy to get that new mm -hmm. car. Uh, I went to four different places. And then uh, they, before someone finally, uh, there's one Hyundai company here. I finally, I went in and talked with the manager, you know, and told him that, well, you know, I, I can buy the car. I didn't know that they didn't have three-year payment plans like they do in America. Even you can find some, I guess you can pay four or five years to pay for a car. And so I had no idea that was the case. Here, if, you know, you either pay cash for hmm. it or they give you three months or six months to pay for it. So if you don't have cash, you can't assume that nobody's going to give you, anyone will give you two years or three years to pay for the car. So I, when I went in to get the car, and the deal that I finally made was he gave me a year to pay for it. A brand new car, a brand new 2017 Hyundai only gave me a year to pay for it. And that was the wow. best deal that I could get. <laughs> so, yeah, it is very different. That was the very best deal that I could get. And, um, now that is you different. know, there are <laughs> other little things like... Um, uh, for instance, uh, here, if you come here to rent, most of the time, people may ask you for anywhere from six months to 
up to three years worth of rent before they will allow you to rent. Yeah, if you don't, if you can't pay for six months, like I say, some even ask for up to three years. Oh yeah, I heard about that. In order to yeah. rent their place, and that could be because of some of the housing shortage, the one point seven million housing shortage that's going on, and that's why it would be to our benefit where if we came in and we got land and start building community, uh, you right. know, different communities for us, then we could come in and know that if you're going to rent, then you put your deposit down and then you can pay your monthly rent. You don't pay your monthly rent, then you're going to have to go. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so that's something that's really very different too. Um, I'm trying to think mm. of, um, mm -hmm. well, like I said, it, it, it is just, it's different. It, there's no doubt about it. It is really very different. Um, trying to find somebody right. here, you know, you start off saying that you want to give people jobs. Like I live in a fishing village, uh, which has grown by leaps and bounds in the last 20 years. And then, um, you, you want to hire a help somebody to come in and help you uh, if you've got a business or what have you. And uh, it, it's very difficult, and particularly for a woman. It, as a man, they're more likely to listen to you, but mm -hmm. as a foreign woman, uh, I found that there were many difficulties, especially in terms of males wanting to listen to my orders to do this or to do that, you know. I found it very difficult uh, as a woman. But I think men would probably make it, it would probably right, be more right. easier. Um, one of the things, and even like just bargaining for food, usually I get my driver to go in and buy it because you know I just figure that once they hear my accent, well, it's going to be a little bit higher than his accent will call for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Right. Exactly. So that type of thing does happen. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, it was uh, interesting to hear you mention uh, the thing about being a woman, because I just assume that, uh, like, let's say with the United States, it seems like we're trying to progress more into this thing to where obviously women are, are equal to men and uh, the workforce and things of that nature. But I would have to remind myself that maybe in the, the, the cultures there still in Ghana yeah. and other, other yeah. nations it's on the true. continent, the cultures may still be the same as if they were, you know, 50, 100 years ago, you know, and yeah. And that's something that uh, a lot of women, I think, would like to know that uh, if they were ever considering uh, expatriating out into the continent, they would have to consider the fact that due to you know the various cultures they may have to still have those fights that we had to endure they had to endure in the states many years ago and well i don't know if uh women today yeah. well, I, I <laughs> have the that, tolerance uh, to I adjust mean, it, to that it, it, it is but happening. that would be something happen. i would think they would want to know when you have workers for sure it does happen uh but um i think even now mm -hmm. they're beginning to uh make changes and, and, and make things more equitable for a women. You find a lot, a lot of women who are in businesses here. I mean, 
a lot of women, a lot of women. Wherever you go to any of these marketplaces, you see women who mm. a lot of the women are the ones who are doing the businesses. So I think that uh, they're, they are slowly working in terms of the workforce and businesses to make it uh, much more equitable than it, than it has been in the past. Now, in terms of, um, uh, and, and even some of those women, I think that have been out of the country and had a, di a different exposure, uh, they probably kind of give their, their men and their husband uh, a, a bit of lip service, like you all say, we give you all. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, things, things, are, things are changing slowly. Things are changing slowly. <laughs> But um, I think it's manageable for, and, and, and what I see here, uh, from what I see, okay, it cool. seems to be there, there are more women here than there are men, uh, African-Americans. Yeah, I would venture to say that is the case. Um, and then the other thing that happens here, uh, oh, really? sisters need to know that uh, on the whole, uh, when we okay. come over here, if there are African-American men here, uh, they many of them have a tendency to, and this is just not me saying it, it's several, several women have said the same thing. Many of them have a tendency to go to the younger Ghanaian women. Uh, I've had men to say to me, well, you know, I wanted to have some more children or they never had any children. I had, and they're older. Uh, well, I married somebody younger so I could have children. Um, but so you see a lot of that happening here. So women, sisters, if you're coming here thinking that once you get over here, you'll meet up with the African-American men who are here and hook up with them, hmm. with them, chances are there's a great chance that you won't because they are already hooking up with the younger Ghanaian women. What would you say on the flip side that African-American women going there would be interested in Ghanaian men and um, kind of, I guess, adjusting to their culture and trying well, to start up a new life I, with I the Ghanaian man on his soil? There are, uh, would you say I that you've seen a lot of that happen with African-American women? came here because they met Ghanaian men outside of the country and they married them and then they came back here uh, with their families. Uh, and then more recently, I, I mm. see where uh, women are coming here and they meet African, uh, they meet the African men here and then they are hooking up with them. And then also sometimes uh, what happens with me is that uh, they, there are younger men who have a tendency to approach me, which is really very interesting. Uh, yes. Uh, is that universal? Oh, uh, really? <laughs> I guess that's a universal yeah, thing. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of that. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of that going on here. I you was know? married to an Ethiopian. He was younger than me. But uh, I didn't know a lot of that was going on. But it seems like the roles are beginning to flip a little bit, but, uh, but mm -hmm. I think because of the culture here that 
it will never get to the point where uh, right. younger men uh, will marry older women. And, you know, they still practice polygamy here. And they won't marry older women or be real serious about them because the culture dictates to them that they should get married and have families and have children. And so I don't think that many of them will, you know, flip the script on that uh, because that's what they've been taught, that this is what they're supposed to do. So they may be out there and play the field and date an older woman for a little while for whatever the reason. But I, I don't think that uh, it would ever get to the point where you'll see a lot of uh, younger mm-hmm. African men marrying older women. I don't think that's ever, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, I guess because of the whole, the, the building of the family thing, um, yeah. Yeah. And and you brought up polygamy. I know that's a topic that a lot of men over here like to discuss. They have this uh, thought process, I guess, that they could have as many women and these type of things. But what is the what are the responsibilities that come with that? I mean, is it something that is encouraged in Ghana? Is it something where the, the Ghanaians look at it a little bit more responsibly because, than just having you know, it, different it, it, women as spouses or how exactly is it viewed there? Traditionally, didn't absolutely have to do with you or with any religion in terms of you being a Muslim or anything like that. Because traditionally from uh, my studies that say, for instance, you were married and, uh, and, and then um, and something happened to you, forbid, God forbid, and you had a brother, then the brother would then come, on, come in and take over your family to help to take care of your family. So that was a part of the tradition, you know, and um, and then as a as a result of uh, a religious practice as well, uh, many of the Muslims mm-hmm. would come here and you know I mean who are here who practice the religion also and they still do have more than one wife. Um, but I think more and more frequently younger women are uh, having had some of the outside exposure through media, TV, and what have you now. They're not going, uh, things are changing. They're not going for you having another wife. If you, they marry you, they, most of them are not going for the fact that, okay, you can have another wife, the younger women. Uh, so unless, unless they may be Muslim, and even some of them uh, uh, may not accept it, you know? Mm. Um, so, uh, but it may be that men will be able to come here and, and maybe find mm. some women who I would say maybe some who are not as well educated, uh, who don't have the outside exposure that you may say, well, I want to marry you, but I want to have another wife too. You know, you let her know that up front. Maybe right. she'll go for it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> because things are, things are changing. Right. Well, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, I guess, I guess uh, Ghanaians are uh, progressing with the times as the rest of us, because uh, in 2020, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. it's become a taboo type subject. But at the same time, I I do uh, routinely see it discussed among the brothers here. And they're constantly talking about 
the family structure and they, they, right. they, a lot of them, I admit, think of it more, you know, on the yeah. surface, just thinking of having different exactly. wives. Because, that's, that's intriguing right. to them, but some of them, I think, to, forget about the responsibilities uh, that it takes one, in order to, to keep them household to. maintaining. So. And, and by the way, by the way, maybe some of your listeners won't, or particularly the sisters won't appreciate it. That's right. That's right. Personally. Uh, in fact, I think it is a, a way that if we as women were less selfish and um, it would give, and because the population shows that there are more women than men, then it would give every woman who, who was interested in having a husband, it would give, give them the opportunity to, to do that if, if we didn't feel as if, well, he's my man and I don't wanna share him with anybody. And then, then what I'll hear from that is that, well, what about the men then? Well, the society did not start off, well, in some societies, they did practice that, where women could have more than one husband. But overall, it was, it's been a thing where because of wars and, 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 and different things, there was a shortage of men in the village. So then the men would end up having more than one wife so that it would give every woman the opportunity to be married and, and to have a husband and to have children. So I think that if we became less selfish and, and didn't feel as if, well, he's mine and he's mine alone and I don't want to share him with anybody. Right. I think if more women were beginning to feel like that, then there would probably be um, less single women out here. Okay, that's a that's a touchy right? touchy subject it's out the, here. So you already know. You know it, it's the truth. <laughs> I mean, as I see it, as I see it, you know, I I I wouldn't have any problem. I, I believe you. Although I'm really very picky. Though. Yeah. But at this point in my life, polygamy would probably work for me. Yeah, yeah, uh, because you see, if you're in a polygamous situation and you have your house and oh, really? And Interesting. She has her house, and wow. then then you see, if you don't want to be bothered twenty four seven, then okay, go over and spend two weeks with her, and then you can come over and spend two weeks with me, and then the two weeks is over with her, <laughs> then you know I can run and do my shopping every day or. Uh, you know, just run and do what I want to do without somebody saying, well, why aren't you at home cooking? You know, that's, I think it has some advantages. <laughs> well, I mean, no, you're no, gonna no, you're I gonna get a sudden influx of brothers inquiring that. now, all some, of a sudden, uh, since you said all that. So, <laughs> just letting you know. <laughs> uh, to polygamy, I, I really do. So, well, most men won't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> most men won't, unless it was right. unless it was reversed. I don't if disagree. Reversed, I don't disagree at all. Then you, then you would have. <laughs> Uh, you would have some disagreement. No, I'm not sharing my woman. Uh-uh. So, yeah, you got a point. <laughs> oh, I know. 
And like there you I said, go. There's a, there's I, I will have to admit, I agree with you on that. Why isn't it good for us? <laughs> well, I, like I said, I don't think that traditionally it was meant to be that way. So, mm. well, like, I, and I can always use the excuse, "Hey, I'm okay. just following tradi tra tradition, baby." That's all. I'm not. <laughs> Again, I want to. Okay, you can ask if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I had a few more questions for you specifically relating to Ghana. Okay. And um, okay, okay. I'll try to keep it as quick as possible. Oh, oh I would imagine. Okay, I'll, um, I'm going to try to keep it as quick as possible. And you could kind of uh, give me, you know, pretty much the short version answers of the questions, if that's okay. Okay. Um, I'm assuming you, you live near Accra. I'm not sure, but I would assume that people coming to uh, Ghana right. or visiting, uh, they would in, specifically key in on Accra since Accra I guess it's the major the, city, capital city. It's uh, uh, and, located uh, in I Ghana. About, on a good day, I live about 45 minutes away from Accra. Uh, on a bad day, where the traffic okay. is really bad, it could be two hours. Okay. Okay. Because okay. see, I was going to ask you a question that it probably would have been more relevant to bring up Accra than the village that you may lo be located in. Because a lot of Americans, their concern is when they come to visit, what is it like as far as the crime? Is there a lot of violence, theft, or drug use, or drug uh, uh, related uh, activities? Uh, that can be found all over the city that they visit. So the first thing well, I get hit with um, from a lot of people is, what is the the the, the really crime say, level but in I, a crime? I, I'm sure there is crime there for sure. There is crime, uh, but I, I would say that it's probably nowhere near uh, the 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 way it would be in any other major mm -hmm. city in America. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, it seems like everybody could have access to a gun. It's their right, their rights in America, you know. Um, but most people here can't even afford a gun. So, uh, oh, no, no, let me take that back. Many people here can't even right. afford a gun. Right. So that would not be their first thing of choice is buying a gun. So, and then oh, wow. the other thing is, um, I mean, crime is here. That's for sure. It is definitely here. Uh, every once in a, not, not too long ago, I heard about, um, some people robbing someone and in the process the person that they were robbing uh, got killed but you know it's it's nothing that's so very blatant that you know that it would scare you so much but i can say this that when i lived in detroit and detroit was considered one of the high crime areas um although i lived in detroit for a while then most of the time i lived in a suburb Detroit. of Detroit, but I never had any security gates on a house. We never had any security gates on any house I lived in in Detroit or Cleveland or anywhere. We never had those security gates on them, um, but I have them here on my house here, and most people do. I've never been any place that you see mm. so many security gates. Every time somebody builds a house, they always put security gates on their on their windows 
and their doors. Mm -hmm. uh, I see, I see. So I would I would imagine it's more I, of I a theft issue than it is violent crime. There. And for the first time, um, for the first time I was at, uh, I went to the art center and I saw this young guy who kept falling down on the ground and I thought he was sick. And I'm like, what, well, what's going on here? And they were laughing at him. And I'm like, why are they laughing at him? And I went to help him. And one of the guys said, oh, no, madam, leave him alone. He's on those, he's on that uh, marijuana with that, uh, what I think it's something called Tramadol or Thermadol or something like that, that they, they've been adding to the, uh, to the marijuana. And I, mm. I even hear that it kills people. Um, but he just kept falling down and he was a young guy. So that was my first time ever seeing mm. that. But, you know, I do know some of them smoke oh. marijuana because I've had a couple of workers that who worked for me and, and I smelled marijuana on them. But, you know, to what degree uh, people are into drugs, I really, really don't know. I would probably venture to say not nearly as much as you would find right. uh, in the Western world. I would imagine the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because it is definitely an epidemic here and I don't hear much mm -hmm. about the opioid uh, crisis if there is one. I don't hear about it being there uh, mm -hmm. anywhere in the sub-Saharan African nations. Now, I don't know that, but right. you know, yeah. I, I tend to hear more of us having the issues with that here than there, so. Okay, okay. Um, uh, do you feel connected? to the Ghanaian people. Yeah, some of them I do. Uh, they have a tendency to call. Okay, okay. A, a lot of people will call you mom and um, or auntie. Uh, even some of the kids will call you grandma. And you, and, you know, typically we don't do that. For instance, I've never called another man daddy but my father. Uh, there aren't many women that I've called. I, right. I've never called another woman in America mama. There has been a couple that I've called mom, uh, but it's very typical here to have people call you mom or call you mom, mama or mom, and uh, and for children to call you grandma, out of a way of showing respect. So, um, so I say that to say that there are a few uh, Ghanaians that are here that call me mom that you know treat me like a mom. And, uh, and they call and they check on me. Um, right. I, I was in the hospital once and they come out to the hospital to see me. Both uh, a, a few that are females and a few that are males. Um, there is one young guy who's in my community who when he got married, he asked me to sit in with him. So I sat with him uh, the whole time while he was waiting to walk down the aisle with his uh, with his for his bride, and he had his his groomsmen in the room, and I was the only female there with him. And uh, to this day, I really don't know why he picked me, but uh, I remember being sick, and and uh, I called him to come and take me to the hospital, and and then I couldn't get to the hospital on time, and he sat here with me the whole time, and then he finally called the doctor, and the doctor came to the house uh, to did a house call because he called the doctor and he knew the doctor. So uh, there are some who are really, uh, so I've got quite a few 
young guys that call me mom in different places around who actually treat me like I'm a mom, you know, very respectful. And then there are a few females who are the same, right. who are the same. I could call them if I, you know, if I need some help or if I need to know about something, I can call a couple of them and, um, and they treat me just like, like I am their mom. And then there are some who will call you mom, but, uh, but won't Maybe be that... very respectful of, you know, they just call you mom because that's what they're used to doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see, I see. And, and on that note, since you brought up um, your health, what exactly <laughs> well, is the medical say, system like uh, there that, um, in Ghana? I was in the hospital... I, I've been in the hospital twice here because uh, my, my blood pressure went up. And, um, and so, um, by the way, I do have Ghanaian citizenship. Mm-hmm. And so, but I've, I've not used it as, uh, I, I think those who have, they have a health card. And so I think they're charged a little bit different, but I've always paid. I was in the hospital for almost four days. And when I got out the, and I was in a private hospital, I was in a private room, and when I got out for those four days, and the doctors came to see me every day, sometimes twice. Uh, when I got out, I paid what was equivalent to about one hundred and seventy-four, seventy-five dollars. Yep, in a private room for four days of care. Really? Wow! Really? So, what would you say that the the level, and I don't know, I don't want to ask in an insulting manner, but what would you say was the level of uh, medical knowledge or education of the doctors that treated you? Would you well, say that they I were comparable to that, uh, doctors uh, here in the States? The hospital that I went, went into is a fairly new hospital, and they have a lot of young, young doctors. Lot, the whole hospital, to me, seemed like it was with it was just filled up with, I've never seen so many young doctors in all my life, which was, I was really very happy to see them. And I told them on the day that I was getting ready to be checked out, about eight of them came into the room and talked and talked among each other and all of that. And I told them how proud I was to see so many young women and men who had gotten into the field. I don't see that in America. Um, where I can go to a hospital and see a whole bunch of young black doctors, male and females. And that really did make me very, very proud to see them here. And so I call them my baby doctors because all of them were like, uh, I got kids older than them and maybe one grandson who may be as (laughs) old as some of them. So, you know, uh, it was really uh, very interesting. So I, wow. so I have to say that most of the doctors, I've never had any really young doctors in America, uh, in Michigan. Uh, I've never had any very, very young doctors like they are here. And they are really very, they look very, very young. So um, that, that would be the one thing that I would be concerned about. But they took good care of me when I was in the hospital. They really did. They took good care of me. One of the things that goes on at the hospital there is that, um, and it was at a newer hospital. In some cases, you can have 
them to, you know, to deliver your food uh, in, for, right there in the hospital every day. And you can pay for that as a part of your hospital expenses. Or you can have somebody to bring your food in. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow, okay, okay, okay. Okay, um, what would you say was the American influence, yes, or would you say, would say that, that there is an, a Black American influence it's negative. over there? Like, you see so many young guys here who are so influenced by the African-American culture over there until it's sickening. Young guys with their pants sagging. You know, how ridiculous. <laughs> It's really uh, they do that there. Oh uh, no! Tell a couple of my workers, and they looked at no. me like I was crying, like I was crazy. I'm like, please pull your pants up on you until you see my drawers. I don't want to see yours, okay? All right, that was really? but I mean, they sag their pants all the time. Even now, you're beginning to see men who you no. think are too old to be sagging their pants, sagging their pants. Uh, you can see some of the um, wow. culture like wow. now you can say, "Well, look, bro, bro, this and bro that." You know, they're they're, they're doing that. Uh, I'm trying to think, what do I see right. <laughs> in terms of the women? Um, uh, I can't really. See. Oh, I know with the women uh, now, the young girls now are beginning to wear short shorts, which you never saw here before. They're now wearing short pants and real short skirts and, and things like that, which was not being worn here before. So hmm. those, those would be some of the, the influences that I, that hmm. I see that uh, has been, that has taken place over the years. And I wouldn't have never guessed that. I mean, I, I would have never guessed. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, I'm assuming it must be because of what? Television, mu music, Absolutely. movies, internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> okay. How How is, uh, let's get a little bit lighthearted here. How is the food? I really enjoy eating. Uh, like I said, I had a, a lady that lived up in the town that I would call frequently mm. to come and cook for me. And she cooked me a, a big pot of uh, a pond nut soup. And I'd have enough to put in the freezer so that I could eat off of it three or four different times. Or I, I like the Ghanaian food. Uh, much of it I, I, I really like. Um, so I probably mm. now... Well, not so much mm. now because she's passed, but when she was living, I probably ate more Ghanaian food than uh, American food. And I can say to you that when I first got here 10 years ago, that uh, I was almost 190 pounds and I've lost about 40 of those pounds, uh, mm. 45 of those pounds without doing anything, just you know, eating more naturally mm. here. Uh, don't have all of the fast food. They have the, the best fruit in the world. Mangoes, all of those tropical fruits are really wonderful and delicious here. 
Mm. And they're so good until when I go back to Detroit, I don't touch mangoes in Detroit. I don't eat, um, I don't eat uh, papaya over there. There are uh, <laughs> all of the fruit that you find that grow here tropically. I never eat them when I, oranges, I don't, bananas, pineapples, I don't eat those in America. Mm -hmm. I only eat like apples and grapes and pears and stuff like that. On the other hand, uh, they grow watermelon here, but they don't taste. I mean, I've never right. found a really sweet, sweet watermelon here. So consequently, I rarely eat watermelon here because I mean, they grow plenty mm. of it. This is a season for watermelon, but I don't, mm. I, I rarely eat watermelon here. I wait till I get to the States and eat plenty right. of watermelon. <laughs> but for the most part, it sounds as if though the options are a bit healthier there than here. Well, they don't have a lot of the saturated fats like with said, the fast food places the, and all like we do here. Fried chicken mm -hmm. here now, and and uh, and the Pizza Hut and uh, Burger King is here now. So mm -hmm. you know they are slowly moving into it. Mm -hmm. But I think that we could do well to start opening up some franchises of food that is right. uh you know more traditional and probably things would change i remember when i first came here you rarely found people that ate sugar but now sweet candy uh all of the candy bars that you find in america are now here which is really changing things now so you know some of the things are really heavily influenced now mm. you find more people eating sugar than than ever right. before and and even now when i first got here i couldn't find my favorite drink, which is Arizona green tea, but I can find it here now. So I buy a couple of cases of it at a time so that uh, I'm, I'm back addicted <laughs> to it now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I don't know if you would know much about this, but let's say there's a couple mm -hmm. that's interested in making that uh, migration back mm -hmm. to uh, let's say Ghana specifically, and they have and they uh, have kids. Would you recommend people with young well, kids make that move at that time? And if here, so, what is and, the schooling most, system most like the out there for come them? Here, they'll put their children in private schools. They have some uh, exclusive private schools that are very expensive, and some that are not. Uh, and I, I, what I would say for any young couple that's that want to come here, okay. be prepared. Okay. Otherwise, you'll come here. There's been young couples that have come here with children. They can't find jobs. They didn't plan very well. You know, if you're a young couple and you know that you want to come here, you got children, you know, somebody should have two jobs. So when it all boils down, there's three incomes coming in. And, and, uh, and out of those three incomes, one and a half of those you should be saving so that you can use it when you get here because... Like I said, chances are you will not find a job here. Uh, unless maybe if you can find a job with the American Embassy before you get here uh, or some foreign com uh, company or something, you're not likely to find a job here. They have many people here that don't have jobs. So if you prepare yourself, you know, give yourself some time to save up you some money. Your dollar will go a lot further here, but give yourself some time to save money you know, knowing that when you get here, uh, you'll be able to stay and, and maybe find some of your friends, 
you know, uh, who are interested in coming. Maybe you can do some a communal living where, and they do that. I mean, I mean, you don't see African-Americans coming here doing it a lot, but maybe you can do some communal living where you can rent a house that's big enough where uh, your friends who, who is a couple can come and stay and help pay the rent, you know, and therefore you can save some. Or if we have our affordable houses already uh, in another year or so, which is, uh, which would, 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 which would be very, very nice, then, uh, you know, we try to provide, uh, like I said, housing and, and, and those jobs that are people that people are already in to come in and, and try to open up business. But what I really want to say is that if we as a people decide that, if we can decide that we want to work together collectively, we can do so much better when we decide to, I call it repatriate to, to Africa, wherever it is that we want to go to. That's that's great advice. I mean, it, it makes so much sense. I just wish that we could just figure this thing out as far as uh, uh, becoming a collective unit. I mean, I know we struggle with that historically here in this country, but I think the way things are going now, the climate, mm -hmm. I think we may uh, want to put uh, those differences that we previously had to the side and come together because, you know, it, it's a mess here socially. Yeah, it really is. And this should be a lesson for us that we are so much greater together. And, and so I'm just hoping we, that we can come get to that point because that sounds like a great idea. And do things here and, um, and show our real, our true added value that we have is when we begin to come in here and set up businesses and set up factories, you know, then we can show our, the, our true worth here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, overall. I overall, overall, would you say that you felt safe in Ghana? I don't feel as if uh, I, 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 um, I, I, one young good, guy good. before I moved in here who stayed here at my house, who watched my house, uh, broke into my house while I was gone, but I wasn't living here. Um, but um, I haven't had anyone in the 10 years that I've lived here that has, uh, you know, tried to break into the house or anything like that. But typically, though, when we come here, we, we get people that work for us. So uh, at one time, I had two guys who worked for me, uh, and they lived on the premises. Um, you build some houses, you know, and they, they stay on the premises. One, he does all of the yard work, and the other one, actually came in and helped me on the inside. Um, I made the mistake of uh, building a big house, which I had planned to use as a bed and breakfast. And so, you know, and then if you're retired and you got a little income coming in, uh, I didn't come here to be working, working, working all the time. So I try and give people, I try and give people jobs in my community who want jobs, Right. you know, who don't mind doing, uh, uh, I mean, I'm not getting, I live on an acre of land and right. I know I'm not getting out there trying to cut an acre of land, the grass for an acre of land or dig around my flowers and all of that stuff. So I cut the hedges, I'm not doing that. I did some of that stuff when I lived in Michigan, I cut the grass, but here I just mm -hmm. give someone a job who don't mind working. And so he stays here and that's his job to take care of the outside. 
and 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 I had a young person that was here who came hmm, in. That makes sense. I have some little Maltese dogs here, and he came in and took care of the dogs, and you know he did some things in the house, some basic stuff, a couple of times a week, other than taking care of the dogs, you know. And um, and he decided that he wanted to move on, so I'm now looking for some other help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, we're down to the last couple of questions here because we're almost uh, out of time. Uh, uh, I, point I blank. Do you sister. miss the U.S.? Uh, I have a very, very good close friend that I've known for about 40 years. And that's my sister. Mm. That's my family. You know, uh, and so what I, I don't really miss America mm. every once in a while, you know, I'm like, dang, the water's off again. If I was in America, that wouldn't be happening. Uh, but, but then on the other hand, no, all of, all of the, the racism <laughs> and all of that. No, I don't miss any of that. I don't miss any of that. I just miss my family and I miss my, my friends. And I wish I could get more of my, oh, some yeah. of, I've had a few of my family members that come here and visit, but um, hmm. I have three children and of the three children, only one of them, my youngest one, my daughter uh-huh. has been here since I built this house. I'm now trying to get my sons to come over here. Oh, oh yeah, I've had uh, two of my granddaughters have been here too, oh, cousins. Man. So, um, I hope so because well, I maybe, can tell you this, maybe one day really, soon they'll get really that, that, that feeling, that calling to come back. To know that, you know, black men yeah. can just get killed over there just because they're black. You know, from my son's family, uh, my male friends that I have there, and just men in general, oh, yeah. that, that really scares me. Um, and here you're not likely to get killed, the police likely to put their 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 knees yeah. on your neck just because you're black. That's not likely to happen here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 opened up a right. lot of people's eyes here. Uh, yeah, I've been I've never seen the climate quite the same as it is right now. Of, I mean a lot of people noticed that. Facebook and YouTube and all of that. Uh, and it's just really very, very sad. Very, very sad and very, very scary. Absolutely. So if, I, if I just pick up, uh, you know, some of my male, my sons and my family and some of my friends, yeah. and if, if I had a magic wand where I could just, you know, flash that wand and, they, and that wand and they would be here, I would gladly do it many times over because it scares me for our men and even more now to our sisters uh, as well, America is a scary place now. It's, I mean, I think it seems like to me it's more scary it oh, than yeah. it was. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Four hundred years ago, maybe. Absolutely. Because at least you knew what what you were what what was capable of happening then, and now people, are, you know, after you know the last fifty sixty years, you think things have changed and people have changed and right. and, uh, and we've overcome when we still haven't overcome, you know? 
and uh, there are still people who hate us and 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 whatever the reason is uh whatever it is just because of the color of our skin and feel as if we don't deserve to have equal rights because of the color of our skin and 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 that is not likely to happen here you know that is not likely to happen here nobody is going to just feel that way about you because you're black because everybody over here is black now there may be shades of black but you know everybody recognize that they're they're black although once in a while they'll call you a white person Uh (laughs) oh yeah 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 i've heard about that yeah (laughs) i think that's more uh cultural than anything right that's just like we're from the states and they equate us with white people yeah yeah well um i'm i'm not hearing any regrets so I would uh, assume that uh, you are very happy where you are now and very uh, grateful that you followed that, that feeling, that, that, that call back home. It seems like to me, everything that you've uh, accomplished so far has been well worth it. It's been well I, worth I would the travel. And others, but I would assume sure that, that you would uh, encourage I'm others to uh, tap into that. Here probably, I'm going to be honest, probably 80% of the time I'm happy here. Uh, the other time I really miss my family and I say to myself you know you got grandkids they're growing up I was around my grandparents all my life until they passed and yet you're over here you know sometimes I I think I'm being selfish by not being there with them Uh, but I I decided that once I retire I I was going to make the rest of my life the best of my life I've grown kids, and so they make decisions not to come, and when I think that they should, but um, I just decided I'd come here and live my life. I do go to the States every year since I've been living here. I go back every year to spend time with my family, uh, but I do miss them. I really do. I really miss my, my, my family and my friends. If I could grab up a whole bunch of them and bring them here, I would. You're welcome. Hey. You're welcome. When you do do that, add me to the bunch here. Yeah? <laughs> I'm coming. Yes, Erna Thank yes, you. Thank you so much, sister. Um, Erna Terafe Casa. I hope I pronounced that correctly. There you go. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, especially based on recent events, They've been inquiring more about where to go to leave this place. And Africa has always seemed to have been, been on the list, but I think people didn't know specifically where uh, to uh, look in Africa. So it's, it helps to hear someone that's done it mm-hmm. and that's there mm-hmm. uh, to get their perspective before anyone uh, tried to talk themselves out of thinking that they can do it. So I, I really appreciate that. Did you want to leave any type of contact information or uh, well, any type uh, of uh, way that people could uh, log in and check out uh, videos or anything that you may have available online? Though they don't belong, uh, there are a couple of them that belong to me there. But if you put in my name, you'll see the ones that will pop up. Um, I am on Facebook, um, and so um, it seems that I'm there quite frequently. Uh, so. You know, People could always look me up on Facebook and, and um, I used, I'll be honest, I used to accept when I first got on Facebook, I accepted everybody who said, you know, they wanted to be my Facebook friend, but I am a 
more skeptical nowadays uh, of some of some of them. But you know, if you if they right. if they say, well, I I I heard your is it podcast, you know, uh, uh huh, and uh, then I would say, well, oh, probably chances are I'll, I'll I'll go ahead on the next episode yes. of the Facebook yes. friend. But they could always chat with me. I'll leave a message or what have you. And uh, and some of them come over. I'd be glad to talk with them, meet with them. I hope that some of them right, would right. Uh, okay. seriously take into consideration the program that we're trying to do and would be willing to uh, invest so that we can do something collectively and do some affordable housing. And within those affordable housing, you know, we could have some of those things that we want to have. Schools will have teachers and doctors and, and you know, and, and a whole variety of people that could come in, you know, that we really could come in and, and, um, and, and enjoy our lives here on the, on our mother, on our mother continent. Uh, I have a saying that, uh, Africans should never be uh, strangers in, in Africa and we should not be, we're African people. And so we should never be a stranger or foreigner is that or foreigner in Africa. Africans should never be foreigners in Africa. And as African people, we should, it should be our right. We didn't ask to be taken away. And so we should be able to come back whenever we want to, not just Ghana, but any country that we want to be able to go Absolutely. to. And if we work together and start dealing with this African Union uh, where, they're, where we're dealing with all of the countries collectively, then I think that it would be much easier for us to go to any of the African countries that we want to go to, not just here in Ghana, but any of them. Thank you so much for the, the, the tidbits of wisdom. All right. Thank, Thank you again for sharing. We really appreciate that. Much, much love Thank to you, you sister. And hopefully we'll talk again sometime soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Akeen's Open Talk. Now, if you would like to leave a comment or two, or if you have any questions, or even an idea for a topic for a future episode, please look up my Facebook group on Facebook and join. Now, it's under Akeen's Open Talk. I will accept you, and then you will be able to contribute. Thank you.